0: All right,
1: so let's just start with the Saudi Iran normalization. So I'm, I'm going to quote from uh, antiwar.com. Uh, Until it happened, it was unthinkable. The U.S. had for decades guarded its sole negotiator in the Middle East, it insisted on being the arbitrator between the agreements and the architect for the decider and partnerships between like uh, people in the Middle East. so. But on March 10th, China emerged as the broker of a transformative agreement between the Iranian and Saudi Arabian partnership, while the U.S. was sidelined and left out of the agreement. The most important recent realignment of the Middle East was being shaped by China. So please uh, go ahead. So I guess uh, I, I didn't really talk about this from the beginning. So we're talking about the multiple realignments between like, the, the Middle East and uh, the U.S. Uh, we found out that uh, there are multiple things going on between, uh, obviously, uh, the United States and the U.S. party. Uh, there are agreements between the Saudi Arabians and the U.S. that seem like basically null like if all these agreements go forward. So please uh, go ahead. Anyone that has something on this?
2: I think this is just an indicative of, you know, um, the the demise of America that has been fostered by our last several presidents. Um, You know, Trump may have put a slowdown on it, but he didn't stop it. And it's really quite simple. We've, gotten away from what is truly important. And I think if the U.S. would start thinking about being capitalistic again, instead of the, you know, quote, uh, stakeholder capitalism or crony capitalism, however you want to call it, if we get back into actual production, all of this would be reversed because, you know, it's, it's our failure that is causing it.
1: And sorry, I'm, I'm probably gonna have cut the early part so what we're talking about is the relationship between Saudi Arabia and Iran, which has changed a lot over the last like couple of weeks. So um, Saudi Arabia and Iran used to be enemies uh, according to the. US belief you know but what is happening over the last couple of weeks is Saudi Arabia and Iran have normalized relations. And this means a lot of things for the U.S., so please, anybody, take it away. Uh,
0: no, clearly this is a big coup for China, uh, and, and there's just no way around it. I think part of, And I think I read the same article you were quoting from earlier, which was um, about the United States losing its position as peacemaker, which is so laughable, even using that term, peacemaker in the Middle East. The United States hasn't played peacemaker in the Middle East since Camp David. But uh, regardless of all that, um, no. Look, the United States after uh, what makes a good arbiter for peace? Somebody who has no history of, or recent history of of confrontation or conflict with the, the two mutual part or the two parties involved. The United States lost that, and then we were able to try and push through policy in the Middle East through military means and economic means. And so we don't have the economic clout anymore, and we see more and more every day how overextended our military commitments are. And so, yes, China has replaced us, and in good, uh, for good reason, because we are not a credible arbiter for peace. Everywhere we have intervened, chaos is followed, or oppression of the masses is followed at the, uh, to the enrichment of a, a ruling elite in those countries when it's convenient for us. So it's, 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 it's uh, a big Chinese moment. And frankly, these, these peace deals are good deals for the people of the Middle East. And so this will probably, if executed uh, the right way, lead to uh, an era of peace and prosperity in the Middle East. But I would say I don't believe we're going to lose Saudi Arabia. Uh, Saudi Arabia is going to alienate the United States. I think they're going to continue to get the blank check because they're going to eventually, I think, recognize Israel – and use that as part of a way to get uh, nuclear, uh, nuclear, a civil nuclear program, and um, um, long-term military commitment from the United States, so they don't have to invest their incredible wealth in a military at all. And so I think I think Saudi Arabia is in the catbird seat out of all of this, and the Iranians are looking for that uh, for that Saudi cap. Yeah, I think that's great. Now so is there.
1: And honestly, like, uh, I'm really happy to see a de-escalation between the U.S. and the Iranians in general. But I think it really, like, uh, kicks the knees out of them, like, when they really want to have, like, a war that's happening in Iran between, like, Israel and Iran. So, I mean, go ahead, uh, Gregor, and tell us that we're wrong.
2: Oh, not at all. Um, Don't disagree with you at all. I just think Saudi's Motiva- the Saudi Arabia's motivation may be more about a nuclear-armed Iran than most anything else. I mean, why wouldn't you look for peace with somebody who is so close to developing an actual nuclear weapon and who has said that they will use it? And we're talking, you know, the the difference between the well, Haiti and the Sunni, you know, and they hate each other as much as the Jews and the, and the you know, insert Islam group here. So... You know, I, this doesn't surprise me, and China's playing the big benefactor. Uh, I might argue that China's history of uh, oppression is a little bit bigger than most other countries. But you know, I understand why they're going on. They're a th- they're being the gracious third party. Their Belt and Road uh, system is you know looking really good until they find out that you know China is con- going to be controlling everything. But that doesn't come for another five or ten.
1: Yeah, I just want to say one thing before Fahim gets in. It seems like the main thing that people are saying is that, uh, well, it seems like this other party, the Chinese, in this instance, is willing to bargain, whereas like the Americans, like, don't have any interest in bargaining. Like, we're not here for saying anything. So, uh, go ahead, Fahim, if you have anything on this.
3: So. Uh- things on this one of the things is uh, that is uh, quite uh, remarkable is unlike many of the, the US uh, uh, deals none of uh, uh, nothing over here was based on selling arms and uh, the second thing was also the uh, fact uh, that uh, as much as uh, we in the U.S. have been told over the the years of like, oh, U.S. is uh, trying to negotiate peace and trying to do this and trying to do that over uh, multiple uh, decades. And here comes in uh, uh, China. And within a few months, they bang out uh, a uh, start of uh, uh, peace between uh, Iran and not only just uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia, but I don't know if you guys uh, read uh, uh, this, uh, but uh, of uh, Saudi Arabia opening up uh, their, uh, was it the um, uh, consulate or embassy, uh, but but in Syria uh, also after uh, funding a lot of the uh, jihadis uh, and all in Syria. So, from a a Saudi perspective, uh, if you think about it, uh, uh, if they go the hard US route, uh, which is a conflict with uh, Iran, then um, basically they're in the firing line. Um, because all of their oil, uh, all of the natural resources is on the eastern uh, coast. There's nothing uh, uh, valuable other than the port in Jeddah and all, but that's just a port. Uh, All their uh, natural resources are on the uh, Gulf uh, side. So it doesn't, you don't need uh, like these... Precision-guided uh, stuff uh, and all—you can easily uh, uh, cripple Saudi Arabia. So, what's the point of Saudi Arabia uh, going this uh, militarized uh, route against uh, Iran? And finally, the, this whole Sunni Shia uh, thing. Uh, one thing I want you to think about is that Iran didn't. Uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia didn't have issues. Uh, when the Shah was uh, around, because uh, during the 50s and uh, 50s, 60s uh, and all, the um, uh, Saudis uh, could, uh, would uh, in terms of uh, like talking to the uh, Muslim world, they could say that, okay, all of these other folks like the Nasser's and the Ba'athes and so on and so forth, these guys are secularists they uh, are not uh, the true c- custodians of uh, the uh, uh, of uh, islam and all and we are but after the iranian revolution and i don't uh, <clears throat> whether you make uh, whether you call uh, iran a uh, um Theocracy or theocratic democracy or whatever, it, it, they still have elections. They, they, it is a, they do, it is a, a democratic government. So what the Iranians uh, brought in front of uh, the rest of the Muslim uh, world was that okay, you can be democratic, uh, but you can be Islamic also at the same time. So that challenged the power of uh, the royals of uh, Saudi Arabia so it's not a, a Sunni Shia uh, thing and and uh, and when you get into a conflict I mean you're gonna basically pull every little shit out of your knapsack and start uh, or, or what do we say like throwing the kitchen sink uh, at, at the other you're gonna come up with whatever you can uh, to uh, uh, basically, uh, uh, dehumanize, delegitimize the other uh, group. So this whole Sunni Shia thing is way too uh, much blown up uh, in uh, in the West uh, of like they hate each other and blah blah blah. Uh, Sunnis and Shias, yes, they have their differences. Yes, you'll find cuckoos in every uh, group, uh, but. It is not uh, uh, a a issue as it is made out uh, in the West uh, that they just can't stand each other. So uh, for uh, for, uh, what I look at from a U.S. perspective is, how much uh, money that is spent on arms and all, and in the arms industry, and all, we need to have uh, uh, be spending more on the military to um, defend uh, this area and that area. That is the part where the uh, negotiation led by uh, China is quite revealing to the u.s populace of where i hope people start questioning of like well why have we been uh, spending so much uh, of our uh, tax dollars on uh, this here comes uh, uh, china and just uh, gets the two parties uh, uh, together without uh, any arms and also uh, that's the thing that i hope folks in the U.S. would look at uh, like, okay, why do we need to spend uh, all this uh, resources uh, that are uh, uh, scarce and are we being uh, basically just swindled? Uh, So sorry for the rant, but that's it, yeah.
1: Hey, no worries. So I agree with all of that, and I hope that my brothers will uh, have something to say about it. So go ahead, uh, Matt and Gregor. I just wanted to
0: compliment what Fahim said. I think it, fundamentally it isn't about uh, what what uh, sect of uh, Islam you're a member of. Uh, it, it, it's really about practicality. It's really practical politics because you had uh, a Ba'athist regime in, in Syria that sided with – an Islamic radical state in, in Iran against Ba'athist Iraq in the 80s because their interests uh, aligned. And so the uh, religiosity gives way to, uh, to practicality uh, nine times out of ten in Middle East politics. And that's, that's uh, how the players often last as long as they do in a very volatile region. Um, uh, but I was going to say that another basis for that long-term Iranian relationship with Syria is That they needed to have good relations with Syria to make a play for the Shia, large Shia population in Lebanon. Uh, And so uh, there's, it's all based on practicality. They could cooperate with a secular Baathist government in Syria for, uh, because they detested Iraq and also because uh, uh, they uh, wanted that access to Lebanon. Uh, So, no, I I think uh, Fahim made great points.
1: Well I think that's great. Um can we move on to uh Saudi Syria relations? Because I think there's been a lot of developments there. Yeah, go go ahead. I apologize, I'm gonna call in here, but um so there's been a lot of changes in Saudi uh Syrian relations too. So I know that the. Saudi-Iranian relations were led by the Chinese, but I know that the Saudi-Syrian relations were led by the Russians. So I think a lot of changes have happened here.
3: Yeah, and the fact that uh, uh, according uh, to um, basically um, I think it was Dave DeCamp who uh, posted uh, this on antiwar.com with uh, regards to uh, the Southeast and uh, the Syrians meeting uh, um, like after or during Eid, uh, after um, Ramadan or Ramzan, wherever uh, um, one is from, would pronounce it. Uh, so at the end of the day, I mean, I feel that if people are talking, then they're not you know, shooting at each uh, other so why uh, not and why not uh, have uh, negotiations uh, and all and see how you uh, folks can resolve uh, things without uh, being at uh, each other's uh, uh, throats but the bigger the other news uh, um, that I found was this Israel going and uh, again bombing and then U.S. going again and bombing in uh, Syria. So part of uh, me is like, okay, are we uh, just doing this uh, la- uh, dead cat bounce of uh, trying to d- derail uh, peace and all? It's it just it seems like. Why? What's the uh, uh, point? Because U.S. Uh, traditionally, uh, if U.S. would have played like a true uh, arbiter, if folks had a lot more uh, affinity for the uh, U.S. than uh, for uh, China uh, and we just uh, over the years we just basically uh, i mean it's unfortunate but we just blew our uh, whatever credibility uh we had and just uh, uh but at the end of the day to me i'm like you know if these uh, if folks can uh talk with each other and bring uh, peace, uh you know why not uh why not so
1: No, I think that's very well said. And we also have this new thing between the Brazilians and the Americans on the petrodollar. So I think the petrodollar is like really on the the decline, I guess you'd say. Um, so there's a lot of states that, uh, feel that, how do you say, I think maybe somebody can fill me in here, but, um, I think the petrodollar is on the decline. And I think the American empire is also on the decline. And we kind of have to deal with it, right?
3: Yeah. uh, And that is something that uh, I think for uh, most people, it hasn't sunk in uh, as uh, yet. And it it is a uh, pretty... uh, uh, I don't. Uh, I'm not, not, not an economics person, but uh, if folks start trading in whatever they want to uh, uh, trade uh, in uh, for uh, resources, uh, and they're uh, not under the uh, thumb of, uh, like, basically the SWIFT system can be turned off any time. No access to dollars and so on and so forth i just uh, uh the implications uh to the us system what it would be that is something i'm very uh curious uh, about and maybe um it, uh, even though uh, i think that in the short term it can uh, uh folks can may feel the uh I shouldn't say pinch, it's going to be more like a bite uh, but uh, at the same time I'm, I'm like okay why maybe it's time for us to realize that, like, why can't we just be a country that uh, is uh, that becomes an example uh, uh, for uh, the uh, for the world rather than uh, going and policing and uh, spending all of these uh, resources on uh basically just i mean it is what you all would call it i think greg called it or uh, matt it is crony capitalism I money mean, you're basically just uh, siphoning uh, money from the taxpayers and just sending it to the uh uh handful uh to uh, fatten up their pockets
1: yeah, I think that's right. Like, we're just siphoning money from the taxpayers that, like, should be, like, t- to the people. So uh, we're just, like, yeah. Uh, the, Matt, Gregor, any thoughts Go
0: ahead. I was going to say that the petrodollar was a great bequest given to the American people from the Nixon administration. And I understand most of us hate the, the conversion uh, away from what was left of the gold standard. But there was no way to maintain the system as they saw it. And the one benefit of the petrodollar was it allowed us to dump our debt with all our deficit spending and all of our largesse on the consumers of the third or of the international community, not even the third world, the international community. And so it, it was a way to basically have a currency based off of nothing but our military and economic hegemony, the prestige of the country. And so... The, the obligation at that point is, one, not to totally destroy your currency by borrowing way, way too much, which we, the country obviously did. And two, that you have to maintain that prestige, both economically uh, and uh, militarily uh, and in foreign relations. And what we've seen is we've lost our legitimacy economically as the standard of living has gone down, as people tend to work longer and more and get less. We've lost our economic prestige because we don't manufacture. And uh, largely, the benefits of our intellectual properties go straight into the pockets of of, uh, uh, the capital markets. And so really, there's no benefit in American economic prestige as far as a social capital. So we've lost that credibility. Uh, And then we have Afghanistan, Iraq. We had Yugoslavia before that in Kosovo and Bosnia. And we've seen the sanctions regimes that killed 100,000 people in Iraq. Uh, and and so we've seen that we've used our economic and military power unjustly uh, for the last umpteen number of years. We can go back as We could go back a long way.
3: Half a million, but I, uh,
0: mad half a million uh, children. Remember,
3: uh, Matt no, Albright? Yes, yes. The, I uh, Forgive me. The, the
0: price was worth it. Uh, Oh, no, no, no. I- I'm sorry. I just I-, I had the wrong number in my head. I apologize. I don't doubt yeah, that yeah, number yeah. one bit. Yeah, but no, yeah. no. But that's the problem. It's, it's straight. It's straight out of Machiavelli. If you're going to have that kind of power and rely on the fear factor, you can't have them so mad at you that they want to overthrow you. But we blew our prestige. We, we, we've shown we're a paper tiger, both economically and militarily. But we still want to pretend like we're the top dog. And so that's how we've lost the petrodollar. And most people aren't going to want to accept it. And it's going to be very painful because now we are going to have to pay for our borrowing. And it's going to be very, very.
2: Well, man, I don't disagree really at all. I am personally think part of the cause is, again, you know, the America's lack of generating wealth. We don't generate wealth anymore. We're a consumer nation. All we can do is borrow money and buy things. And when we started this adventure, however misguided, you know, we were the world's major production hub um and that to me is the way out of this really is to turn around and become the major production hub again don't try to fight your way out of it just try to produce your way out of it and actually provide services provide products and people will need us again it's that simple and that's sort of what china is doing they're you know doing it economically by providing all kinds of things and being able to negotiate from a you know manufacturing
0: that's where really the Chinese have learned from the Soviet Union's mistake. And I don't think we see the comparison between the Soviets and the United States, but it's apt, uh, completely apt, uh, uh, especially with our American Chernobyl in Ohio. But uh, I was going to say uh, that, that uh, if, if they would have focused, if the Soviets would have focused on consumer production and economic development of their country, the Soviet Union, instead of the military buildups. Of this from the mid 70s until its collapse they would have been the the, the soviet union would be there today and the chinese realized that instead of military belligerence and adventurism and build-up and they have increased their military spending but in a sustainable way to their market growth or their domestic uh, product growth uh and that's that's why they're they're such a successful nation we have not learned we have been militarily adventurous we have spent lots of money on military buildups while our citizens have suffered, just as the Soviet citizens suffered. And so that's, uh, it's, it's just, we haven't learned from history the Chinese have.
2: Well, did they learn from history, or did they take advantage of what they were offered? Because it seems to me that Nixon, especially, was really big on getting, helping China become the economic power it was, it is. And we fed into that by using their cheap labor, and, and you know now we export everything in we import everything from China, and because of our consumerism, we gave them the foot up. It, had we, you know, built from here, from built from the United States, I don't think that we would be in our situation. Though given our leadership, we probably would still have this huge military industrial complex, which I don't agree with. I'm not defending that. I'm just saying, had we stayed in an economic power instead of a consumer power, there would have been different. And we gave China, we just gifted them the production mechanism by being the consumer.
0: Well, to be fair, Nixon normalized, or didn't even normalize relations. He just opened up the relations and then they were normalized under Jimmy Carter and then they were uh, expanded again and again. And then they were given most favored trade status under George W. Bush and Bill Clinton put him in the WTO. Uh, all as the economic capital expanded, and we showed that American politicians could be paid off through foreign owned corporations, uh, through their lobbyists also. And uh, as the Clinton administration obviously was, and I'm sure every succeeding administration since has. And, uh, you know, that's that's how you get a government that really has no interest in what's in the benefit of the people. It's all about. The federal government. And this here's one thing. I think folks think we're uh, bad, uh, poor talking America when we say when we're happy about the end of American Empire. The end of American Empire is not the end of the American people or the American way of life. It's the opening of a new chapter where we're going to be hopefully freed of this economic tyranny, freed of this soft fascism, uh, and freed of this uh, frankly uh, authoritarian state. Uh, So the end of American Empire is going to be good for the globe and good for Americans in the pocketbooks and frankly, probably for their families psychologically and uh, safety-wise.
3: I'm not sure how uh, far back. uh, I'm I'm 47, and so I remember uh, back when I first, uh, after college, I... um, I entered the
4: workforce in
3: uh, around 2003 or 4. Was would go to uh, uh, manufacturers uh, meetings and all, and everybody would be over uh, like uh, going manufacturing in China and, and all. And, and I thought to myself, I'm like, uh, how long is this game gonna uh, last? Uh, because sooner or later, uh, they're gonna learn uh, and they're gonna start manufacturing. And if you think that these guys are just stupid, they don't know how to learn. I'm like, you've got another thing uh, coming. So a huge part of me, uh like okay once you lose your manufacturing uh base you, you uh, are in a very uh precarious uh position but i from uh, what i felt was uh, for a lot of corporations it was like okay well, uh, I mean, those guys are not stupid. Uh, for them, it was more of uh, like making a quick uh, buck. Um, uh, what used to be $10 to um, manufacture is, uh, uh, I'm just throwing out a, a number, would be like 50 cents to uh, manufacture and they can, uh, what they were selling for uh, 12 $13, uh, uh, dollars, they can, sell it at uh, like ten dollars and make a huge um, um, a margin on it and so it it was more of the greed uh, that i uh, uh saw and it was something where i just felt that no matter which administration uh came in it continued and continued and uh, continued and and so uh, we went manufacturing base to now the biggest um, money ma- maker has become just the financial protection um, and it's just uh, at the end of the day who it's not uh, the common as with the manufacturing in the if you Bought something for uh, that same $10 uh, thing for $13 uh, that least your neighbor, uh, um, a dollar off it, uh, not uh, on it. And uh, love you. Yeah, and basically it's it just. Uh, Uh, has been so destructive over the past uh, almost coming
2: close to 40 years uh, in the next few years. Well, and absolutely. And and one of the things that I, I think is an indicator of that is we started counting money as wealth. And there is a difference between wealth and money. Money is just the tool we use to keep score. Where wealth is actually created, it's you know wealth is created by manufacturing and by you know creating intellectual property. These things are how what actually amasses wealth. Where the you know money is the, is the scorecard. But everybody's so interested in amassing money that we have lost you know we have lost the desire to to, to make to manufacture decent and you know functional products, as you pointed out it would be much better for the country if we were to pay $13 for that $10 radio that we get from Japan, if it's made here in the United States, because then A, there's the artifact that stays in the country and that benefits everybody around us. And it's, you know, it's, it's a bigger, let's call it a blessing to everybody if it's manufactured here. But because we've stopped counting wealth as you know, creation of product and I'll only count wealth as creation of money, you know, we've become we've become money producers, which we can manufacture out of thin air now because of practical digital.
0: No, I think Gregor makes a very good point on the fact that money does not equal quality of life. I mean, uh, I think this country proves it. We're supposedly the richest country in the world, and we're so goddamn unhappy. It you can just feel it all over the country right now. You can just literally. It, there's a sense of of just anxiety and oppressiveness, and I I, I, I I, talk to friends about this, folks who work in politics or uh, teach political science, and, and I ask them if they sort of feel this palpable tension. And it really is. It's almost like at the animal instinctual level. You can just sense something's about to go down in this country, and it's it's it, it could either be a very positive thing or it could be a very negative thing. And, and the hope is that it ends up being a positive thing. But uh, the, 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 the fact of the matter is, though, dollars do not gauge quality of life. It's, it's, we've got to look at things like property ownership, economic upward mobility, educational advancement, vocational training, skills, um, safety, clean air, clean water. But I think one of the problems, though, with the argument about, you know, we, it would all be better if we paid $13 for the American radio instead of the $10 uh, radio from Japan – you know, a radio. Uh, you know, consumer AM/FM radio is nice, but and and we, we have the ability to manufacture those here if we, we need to in a, in a pinch. But but why does that? Why do we need to? What what? It would actually be cheaper to just send them checks than to subsidize an industry that's irrelevant, or not irrelevant, but not necessary. Because essentially, all the tariff is is the American consumer paying welfare to the industry, and largely the wealth from that industry doesn't go to the pockets of the workers. It goes into the pockets of the owners. And so really all a tariff does is generally benefit the wealthy and they scapegoat, the American worker, uh, for the collection plate. But they really don't benefit that much. So I understand where you're coming from there, but, but I don't think the history shows that that works long-term. Good, even 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 tariffs that balance out economic and wage factors to make it about as reciprocal and even as possible without selling out your country or being totally unfair to theirs, generally results in good competition without subsidy and still protects domestic markets. Uh, I, I, I think we've seen protectionism doesn't work long term. Now, one thing I wanted to um, – um,
3: Oregon, uh, in fact, uh, Peter um, – when you uh if you want to uh, talk about uh uh, russia ukraine feel free to step in but one question that i have and it's it's an honest uh uh uh, question that i've struggled uh, uh, with uh, understanding uh from uh libertarians is uh like okay so uh i am uh, i am i don't describe myself a, as a socialist or anyist uh, type uh, uh, thing i do b- believe uh, that there needs to be some kind of a social uh, safety and i don't believe in uh, people losing uh, uh, their livelihood and homes uh, on uh, medical expenses. Uh, and I, I don't uh, 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 buy in, into the, uh, the fact of like you've got to pay through the nose uh, for uh, like college and all that stuff. But all of that uh, stuff uh, aside, one of the things I struggle uh, with uh, when it comes... Uh, to uh, like when uh, libertarians talk about like capitalism, a lot of uh, times I'm like, okay, well, I've seen this uh, thing at least in our uh, system in the U.S. Uh, is we have this thing of like growth, growth, growth. Oh, okay, you did X uh, uh, dollars this year. What are you going to do for me uh, the next year? What are you going to do for me uh, another year? So how does, uh, um, because at times I feel that this growth uh, 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 business uh, would just lead to like conflict in terms of, uh like okay, since we gotta grow anyway we need to to grow, and that's the one it can be a topic for another day, but i I just since it's a a private room uh
4: standing, uh,
3: uh how do you uh If you are in this never-ending cycle of just like saying that, hey, man, uh, let's say uh, you have a a company, you sell $5 million worth of uh, stuff. Everybody uh, uh, makes out the profits. Everybody's happy. And you know what? Next year, yeah, okay, we're... uh, Even if we sell the same amount and everybody still makes out good, everybody's happy, uh, then why, what is wrong with that as opposed to like, oh, we got to grow no matter uh, what uh, thing. Once again, I I don't, uh, I mean, this is, as I said, that uh, that can be a topic for another day, Peter. I I didn't want to just, uh, it's it's just something uh, I've really enjoyed. What? Uh, you all uh, have to say, and as I as I said, for me, uh, like uh, uh, Ron Paul was the first one who just uh, opened my uh, uh, eyes. I, I thought I was the only loon who would question uh, the uh, U.S. militarism, uh, and all till I heard him, and I'm like, oh, who is this guy? And then later on when uh, uh Bernie, despite the fact that he's been basically this uh, uh, become like a sheep herder uh, and all, uh, but uh, for the uh, Democratic uh, Party. But when the points were brought up on militarism and all, that's the angle that I came uh, into because I, but at the same time, I'm like, I have, uh, like as as I mentioned in the past, like Folks like uh, the, the ones who uh, started the anti-war, um, com page and Scott Horton and all, I have tremendous uh, respect uh, for them. But it's just something when I think of uh, in a uh, just from a systemic perspective, uh, that's where I I often think of like, okay, I know you're for, uh, capitalism and, and I see a lot of benefits to that. But if it's like growth, 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 no matter what, then how do you, uh, avoid being in, uh, getting into wars, um, uh, Again, and uh, from, uh, wars I, of
1: attrition, I, like you're saying. like So,
3: yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, thank you very much. Um, but as I said, uh, Peter, we can talk about this uh, some other time. I didn't want to hog uh, space, uh, but it was honest. Uh, it is an honest question, and it is something that I would uh, really like to uh, learn and hear uh, from uh, uh, uh People on the libertarian uh, side, because it's something where I just struggle with. Because I'm like, I, I really appreciate a lot uh, of where the libertarians come uh, from uh, on issues of war and uh, personal freedom and all. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, how do you define? Uh, what's the long-term uh, thingamajig? Uh, on this so
1: no I appreciate that um, I think I'd say we hate war in all the cases um, we think that the Federal Reserve and in general, like, like, we have to understand that like, war in general is being driven by the state so uh, anything that we don't understand is like being driven by like, certain things that we don't understand about the state so I think Matt might be able to and things on that, but go ahead, Matt.
0: Well, look, I mean, let's be honest. No no soldier, the the soldiers, the people who fight the wars, never come out of a war better than they came into it. The only generation you can say came out of it better is World War II. And the only reason that worked is because they borrowed a whole lot of money and put it on the back of future generations to do it. And so... I think you've reached a point where our, the only reason troops go to fight is because of the prestige and respect they have for their country and the affinity they have for their countrymen. And I think one of the biggest problems our country faces but there's
3: also a is, is of,
0: uh, poverty. Draft, well, right, and, uh, Matt. Uh, I mean, well, uh, no, no, no. We, that's true. That, that's yeah. true. But but look, th- the military becomes a job. There's a point of that. I understand what you're true. saying. But but uh, there, there are folks who are career employees or family tradition that are in the military, but I would argue I would argue that ain't enough to fight China or to fight Russia or to fight even Afghanistan or Iraq. Uh, it, it wasn't enough, and so the reason you can throw around your military weight, we may use we may use all those drones we want, we may use all those groups we arm across the world, but it ain't enough to win direct military confrontation. And those are the threats we're laying down with the two other major, major military powers on the earth at the same time. And that while we're economically, the people have the lowest confidence they've had uh, since the Depression. Uh, There's a sense of anxiety and agitation. Patriotism is at an all-time low, according to that Wall Street Journal survey. Um, And all we've seen go up in value is material things and identitarian uh, things. All things that are bad for a country that needs to have a sense of cohesiveness and identity and confidence in itself to sustain uh, a large volunteer effort, because if they enforce a draft, I don't think folks would go in this instance. I don't think we have a country that would fight uh, for this this government that that uses our flag but does not represent the people and hasn't represented the people for a very long time.
4: No, uh,
3: I I have always uh, uh, thought uh, like when I hear uh, the thing in um, the uh, growing up in, uh, half my years in Pakistan and all when uh, people would uh, say uh, that well the U.S. is a paper tiger and blah 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 and and over uh, time I'm like okay but it's not that uh, Americans are paper tigers. I, I don't buy uh, that at all. For me, I'm like, okay, Americans have the will uh, uh, to fight, uh, uh, but over uh, time when you've been go- uh, when we've been coded into like one bullshit war after uh, the uh, other that does uh, I mean even uh, uh, somebody who um, who uh, can um, be as uh, for uh, excuse my language, but as dumb as a doorknob, even by osmosis, you're gonna learn so- sooner or later that you know, what the heck am I doing or who am I fighting uh, for? Uh, and it is. Uh, it's and it's going to have uh, the effect of what you mentioned of where folks would be like, OK, why am I doing this or who am I doing this for? What has been the track, uh, uh, track record? So I, I totally uh, I, I, I get that. So what's uh, what were you gonna talk about, uh Peter, uh, when uh with regards to uh updates on uh, r- uh the Russia Ukraine?
1: Hello? Hey there. That's a great question. Um I think we're probably ready to shut down just because uh we had so many like uh, people weigh in and we had a lot of really good uh things people had to say, so um I think this is a good point to maybe say hey there's a lot of things that we feel pretty bad about so let's uh shut everything down and let's uh let's talk next week I think if that makes sense um yep. so can we talk next week on this
3: yeah yeah for sure uh, have a great sure. really appreciate it
1: so, um, I have had like a lot of, uh, that a lot of opinions, so let's talk next week and let's, uh, regroup, on um, the things we talked about today and I think we had made a lot of really good progress. So happy about the progress, but I think, uh, maybe we should probably just like talk about ourselves together and Hey. Um, we still live on this plane, and I'm happy to live on this plane, so I'm happy to be alive, I'm happy to live, I'm happy to still be alive, because uh, there's a lot of bad coming out there, and there's a lot of good coming out there, in in, in some ways, but, um, let's not uh, be too focused on the bad part, because uh, there's a lot of good that's uh, still coming out, so, Let's, uh, let's look at the good, because uh, we still can live. So. All right, everybody. Um, anybody else have anything, anything you want to add on?
0: No, I, I would just uh, add on to what you said, Peter, that there are good things going on. Actually, this the stuff we're talking about is all very exciting. It's an exciting time to be alive. The end of American empire is going to be a good thing for the American people. It doesn't mean we're going to be less secure or less strong, but maybe we can actually start to build up the wealth and the people in this country.
3: True. I agree with you. Uh, it's uh, uh, There's nothing uh, wrong with just being a uh, normal another uh, country that uh, everybody is proud of uh, being a part of uh we, we don't need to be uh, the uh policemen of the world uh, and also i, I totally uh, I'm with you on that
2: well i'd like to thank you for having me um i really enjoyed this and uh look forward to next week's discussion there's lots of things i want to say right now but i mean it, it's it would take a half an hour so i'm with you peter let's move on and i will hopefully join you next week if i'm invited.
1: You will certainly be invited. So uh, next week, uh, we will talk about um, what we learned from this week. So, just to recap. Um, so the Saudi and Iranian relations have kind of deteriorated. So, um, in relation to the Chinese, and so there's been a lot of changes. All right. So. Let me just back up for a second, so in relation to uh China and Iran and especially in relation to um, Russia and Syria, there have been a lot of changes at the u s Empire a lot of that has been bad for the u s Empire as we should like especially hope for um so what we look for is uh, a good relationship between the Chinese and the Americans and the Iranians and the Syrians. So there is going to be a breakdown between the what we expect, expect and the petrodollar. So that is what we're going to see in the future. And we expect to see a breakdown between we understand and the Americans. So let's, uh, let's look forward to that. And let's uh, look forward to uh, understanding how we live in the future. So look forward to that. So love you all, and uh, have a great weekend. again.
3: Thanks, Peter. Thanks, uh, Greg and Matt.